Hello and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm your host, Matt, joined as usual by Nathan. Hey. And Elizabeth. Hello. Here for our 2015 year in review. Woohoo! We're we're super excited to get right into our top 10 round robin style. Like usual, we don't know what each other has chosen. So we are just filled with anxiety. And excitement. Um, and numbing that anxiety is what we are drinking, Nathan. Well, I just want to say I'm, I'm filled with suspicion, too, that <laughs> you may have copied my list or <laughs> somehow worked your way into my head. I'm always my in My dreams. Um, but we'll see. Time will tell the next <laughs> hour or so. Uh, anyway, so we are drinking celery martinis. Because mm-hmm. we think it sounded good. Because we are celery braiding <laughs> We're celery braiding. Golf claps for you. Um, That's good. So, uh, they're super easy. I, I found a recipe online, but I didn't really follow it. So, this is kind of our own recipe. It's uh, just London dry gin. Uh, two ounces with one ounce lemon juice, one ounce dry vermouth. And uh, you rim the glasses with celery salt and garnish with a little coup de celery. Celery hearts. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's good. It's refreshing. It's going to keep us on our toes. Mm -hmm. Sure will. I highly recommend it. We'll put the recipe up on the site. For sure. Well, I... I would before we jump into our top tens. I just want to know what generally you guys thought of 2015. I thought it was overall a pretty great year, though I had a really hard time narrowing down my top ten list because I felt like there were like 25 or 30 movies that I really really liked, but it was there weren't an obvious ten that I was super super passionate about. They're all like B plus A minus. Love them. But there, yeah. There weren't as many that I was like that I'm over the moon about is kind of where I'm at. I think I would I think I would agree with that. I have a cup I had a few that I really loved, which made for a pretty clear, especially top five. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, my top twenty was really hard and I had said earlier to you guys that my eleven through twenty could easily have been a top ten in another year and for I would sure. have been super happy with it. Um I, it was also a really surprisingly good year for like mainstream studio fare. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, I think I would agree too about um, the overall quality of the films this year being good, but I didn't feel as emotionally attached to as many. To as many. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though I'm thrilled about my list and I'm excited about all the movies, it's a little bit different feeling than some other years. Right. Agreed. Which at the same time, I think if I had to like gun to my head and I had to choose between a year where there are like two films that I just loved but it was a pretty dismal year overall and a year like this where there's quality across the board from foreign film to documentary to low budget indies to multi-million dollar franchise like blockbusters and so many of them were great I'm really stoked about the overall me too and that they were released year round I have yeah. several things that were released in the first half of 2015 oh, that yeah. I yeah Super glad that we get to talk about it again. Um, let's yeah. jump in. Who wants mm-hmm. to start with number 10? I'll start. Awesome. Great. <laughs> so, dun da da dun. I'll try not to Mini rustle my roll. papers too much. <laughs> dun da dun. Um, not that I have notes. Uh, okay. <laughs> number 10. I was really excited about this movie when I saw it. Um, and I'm still excited about it. Amy, mm. the documentary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. directed by Asif Kapadia, mm-hmm. and uh, this movie is um, an examination of the life and death of Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure most people have heard of it, although I don't know how many people actually saw it. Um, Though it is on Amazon Prime, streaming mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, it's well worth the watch. For sure. I thought... Um, it it really brought her to life for me in a way that 
I could appreciate her as an artist a lot more. Um, it was also a, just a heartbreaking story of love and loss. And um, it was kind of a love letter to, to Amy Winehouse. Um, I appreciated some of the touches like uh, there was almost like a sing-along quality where they showed the lyrics on the screen. Yeah. Um, which for a lyric deaf person like me is, <laughs> is really helpful uh, to sort of understand what she was getting at with her art. And also just what a great songwriter she was. She was a yeah, terrific artist, lyricist. Yeah, totally. And then the thing I think that really puts it over the edge into top 10 territory is um, that it really, I mean, you watch it and you might think, you know, certain figures in the film are more culpable than others, more to blame for what's what went down. But really, I think the movie does a great job of pointing out, rightfully so, that everyone's culpable. Totally. Mm -hmm. Even and especially the audience and her fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's something worth pondering. And yeah, I loved I loved this. I'm excited to watch it again. Yeah, and just what it says about celebrity and the how way we, we digest. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating, and I think it's really really well done. It just missed my top ten. It's an honorable mention for me. Fair enough. Mm hmm. Nice choice. Um, should I go next? Sure. Good, because I'm a little worried that you guys might kick me out after my top ten, my number ten. Uh oh. Uh -oh. What is it? My number 10 is Crimson Peak by Guillermo del Toro. Oh, hmm. all right. Love it. Um, again, this isn't necessarily like the best of in film. This is just my personal top 10, and I Definitely. loved this movie. I had such a terrific time in the movie theater. It's the type of movie that doesn't get made that often because it's like a genre. The gothic genre isn't exactly super popular, right. <laughs> but it's one that I personally really love. Um, it, it reminds me of a, it seems like a movie that I think when I go home and like visit my sister, that my sister and I are going to watch all the time, similar to how we watch the movie Sleepy Hollow all the time, mm -hmm. which is also sort of gothic and campy and right. weird. And it was gothy and campy, campy and weird. And it was a visual feast. A delight. Yeah. A delight. Jessica Chastain just really stole my heart. <laughs> She goes for it. In that movie, she goes for it in a way that, like, actors don't often get a chance to go for it, especially when they get That's to true. a certain level. I mm -hmm. think, you know, like, looking at, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, right, where he's... I, I promise this whole thing won't just be me shitting on Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> but, you know, where he, like, wants to be taken seriously as an artist. So every film, every performance is, like, a calculated effort to do that and you could easily have someone like Jessica Chastain who had such a phenomenal couple of years of breakout with like yeah. two back-to-back -back Oscar nominations where she'd be like no I'm not taking this right like campy over-the-top role and she doesn't she makes a feast out of it like I feel like she just had a blast every day she was on set mm -hmm. as I would have if I could have run around in those costumes so which as you're wearing pure, right now. Like, which I'm wearing right now. As pure, like, yeah, you... I cannot wait. This is, this is actually why I'm hoarse. It's not because I have had a cold or anything. I've just been, like, screaming and, mm -hmm. and just having histronics all over. All day. All day. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to watch it again. And it is totally going to be a, like, I watch it with my sister all the time movie. So, yes. I love 10. that choice. Me too. I, although I, your your get up right now is really gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> My preference for yeah. it. And the British accent you've been rocking. <laughs> and when I served you oatmeal earlier and just screamed. Yes. Oh, that was genius. Oh, well, I can't can't agree, but I appreciate the pick. Thank you. My number ten uh, is Ex Machina mm. by Alex Garland. Um, he this was the. Um, sort of sci-fi movie with Donald Gleason wins a contest, uh, works for this um, like tech company run by Oscar Isaac, who's created you know something like Facebook or something like that, and is like a multi-billionaire um, tech titan. Uh, lives is like a recluse living in the wilderness somewhere, and uh, so Don Donald Gleason goes to 
you know, he wins this contest to stay with him in this remote, uh, amazingly well-crafted art direction-wise um, environment. Uh, and basically he's there to run a Turing test on this piece of artificial intelligence, um, basically a robot that Oscar Isaac has created, which is in the form of a, a human woman as played by um, Alicia Vikander, who had like the best 2015. Really all three of those actors, Donald Gleason, Oscar Isaac, and Alicia Vikander had incredible years. Terrific years. Mm-hmm. And I would say each of their best performances was in this movie, which reminds me yeah. of like a Philip K. Dick short story. Like, I think it's maybe... They, no, it's original screenplay. No, it's original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it reminds me like of a the best movies I think are almost always based on like an article or a short story and how you flesh that out. And I feel like this is that, and it has such rich themes on on so many things. Um, it's audacious, bold filming. And Alex Garland, this is his first film as a director. Right. He had done the scripts for things like Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine and Never Let Me Go, kind of like sort of. And genre. he's written novels too, like he wrote The Beach and. Oh really? Yeah. I feel like I knew that, but yeah. didn't didn't recall. But yeah, this is a really amazing debut. Yeah. Really bold, confident filmmaking. Just by the time you get to one of my favorite scenes of the year, the dancing sequence, <laughs> when uh, Oscar Isaac is like, "I'm gonna tear up this the fucking, fucking dance floor or whatever." It's like a lesser movie that would never make the final cut. Yeah. But the fact that it's in there and it speaks so it's so like. It's also a character beat for, oh, for sure. 100%. For all three of the people in the scene. Totally. It's a character beat. Totally. And then sexy but dangerous, which unsettling. the whole film kind of is, a little unsettling. Yeah. It's really well done. I have a feeling we'll talk about it later because I'm sure it's on one or both of your, your lists, but I I'm glad this movie exists and I really, really liked it. It's a good one. <laughs> it's it really is, good. It's real good. <laughs> It's a great. I'm I'm only laughing because we joked that that was going to be the depth of our analysis for all right. of these films. I liked this movie because it was good. The end. <laughs> and I love the score, the visual. I mean, everything about the movie is just kind of impeccably yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I I read somewhere or heard somewhere that they spent a huge proportion of the budget on just the special effects for oh, yeah. Alicia. Yeah, Alicia it, was, it was Oscar Isaac. I mean, there's probably other sources, but it was Oscar Isaac in a podcast who was saying that Which, yeah. the bulk of it went to Ava, and he said shooting the rest of it was like shooting a BBC drama, like yeah. bare bones. Yeah. But you would never know it, no. and it was so worth it Yeah, in my mind. Totally, because it, it is like a genre film, but it treats it kind of as a character exercise, and yeah. there's such thematic resonance about gender and technology and... I mean, you could easily see it being a stage play. I was totally just gonna say that. You took the words out of my mouth. I told you, I'm in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I would love to see it on stage. Yeah. Interesting. Haunt. Okay. Should I go next? So number nine. Numero nueve. All right. My number nine is Sicario by Denis hmm. Villeneuve. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. Um, Canadian, <laughs> Canadian Frenchman, um, which I I really want to rewatch. Oh, I should say first. So it's about um, it's about the U.S. Mexican drug war, and it starts with Emily Blunt, who is a member of the FBI, I believe. Yep, I think so yeah. yeah, FBI agent. FBI agent who has been tracking drug activity on the U.S. side um, and finds this, like, really horrifying house that is sort of the physical remnants of what this war is doing um, and then gets recruited for a task force um, of all men. Of course. That goes into Mexico, and there's some questionable uh, politics that go into it um, and this questionable legality about a lot of their objects, uh, or objects, a lot of their actions. Um, and uh, Benicio del Toro is a member of, of this sort of gang, but it's unclear exactly who he is, what his relationship is to this task force, what his motivations are. Um, and he's fantastic. Yeah. Emily Blunt is really fantastic. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. It's like the best use of Josh Brolin that you can have. Totally. I agree completely with that. Best yeah. use of Josh yeah. Brolin? Yeah, totally. Like that, the gum-smacking, like, kind smarmy, of... Cocky. Smarmy, cocky. bro yeah. who wears flip-flops with sandals. Like, yeah. that's Josh Brolin at his best. Flip-flops with sandals? 
Um, I do have some questions. <laughs> <and I> would... <laughs> Not flip flops, but he wears uh, whatever sandals. Socks and sandals. Socks and sandals. All right. Kind you of know. like I am right now. Yeah. You are. Um, but I feel like they're like the Adidas. Like it's not a like through the toe, but they like flap as you walk. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or getting you. really you. hung up on <laughs> small. We're getting in the weeds in the costume. <laughs> we are. Section. It's all my analysis is strictly going to be costume wise. Um, I, I do have some questions about sort of the film's point of view in regards to the drug war and its portrayal of the Mexican side of things only with where our current U.S. politics are right now. Mm. Like, I talked to our good friend Nora and she was concerned that, like, Trump supporters would watch this and be like, see, yeah, Mexicans are rapists and murderers. Um, But that aside, it's just a tensely shot, tightly constructed movie um, I love having the Emily Blunt character at the center of it mm-hmm. because it makes the most really out of the fact that she's a woman in that she's the consummate outsider. Totally. And in a way that... Surrogate. Right. In a way that in a lot of industries, a woman would be the consummate outsider. Like you could take... You know what I mean? Yep. It's not like just specifically to that. Um, the performances are top notch. The score is amazing. It's shot oh, beautifully. And it also was just one of the, I mean, tensest I've ever been in a theater. I was that scene um, when they're crossing back over into the U.S. Yeah, the border crossing. The border crossing scene, and they have the, the, like, drug leader or whatever, or key person. Mm -hmm. I mean, just edge of my seat the entire time. The whole time. time. Or I would have been, except for we saw it at BAM, where there's no room on the seats to be at the edge of my seat. But you know what I mean. (laughs) Gripping the armrests. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Sicario is my number nine. It is also an honorable mention for me, but just missed my my top ten. But I approve wholeheartedly. (laughs) My number nine is uh, almost similar in terms of that Sicario is almost a horror film this is a horror film it is it follows nice directed by david robert mitchell uh and i loved this movie it's <laughs> it really stuck with me um i a horror film kind of lives and Could dies you say it follow it's followed you around it has it is it has followed me <laughs> at a slow unsettling steady pace right behind me at all times um a horror movie kind of lives and dies like a, a first horror movie by like the rules that it sets up. And I feel like this was so inventive, but at the same time comforting, like it feels like, Oh, of course this scenario has played out in some other iteration before, but no, it hasn't. And horror movies often have like something else on their mind or like thematic resonance. And this totally does with, and you can, you know, pick out any number of things, but mostly like STDs. It's, um, the basic setup is that there's a curse that gets passed through sexual relations, uh, between partners and whoever, you know, was last, it was last passed to this entity sort of follows them around. And if it gets to you, it kills you. And the only way to get rid of it is to sleep with someone else and pass it, pass it to them. So it's sort of this ongoing cycle of Hara, um, but it has a fantastic opening scene. The way that it all unfolds and like you get to know the rules of, of how this curse works is just really well done. It, the score is the score really is great. Really yeah. great. The ending is great. Um, I did want to read just in terms of like the theme. Um, the director had, had said this. I'm not personally that interested in where it comes from, the it being the, the creature or what it stands for. To me, it's dream logic in the sense that they're in a nightmare, and when you're in a nightmare, there's no solving the nightmare, even if you try to solve it. While the main character opens herself up to danger through sex, sex is the one way in which she can free herself from that danger. We're all here for a limited amount of time, and we can't escape our mortality, but love and sex are two ways in which we can, at least temporarily, push death away. Interesting. I liked, too, because I I definitely assigned, you know, a a theme or, like, a... Right what it represents uh but i liked that director's note as well nice and a great perform great ensemble of of young actors yeah led by micah monroe and kira gilchrist who i love it it followed followed me around it was uh pretty ingenious too to shoot it in detroit Mm -hmm. yeah and the resonance of that for sure yeah 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 i love me a good horror film we've had a good several years of like 
the Babadook last year, which yeah. also was like low budget, but clearly had like a clear point of view and like a new horror film. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to the witch. The witch. Me too. The witch. The witch. The witch. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Coming. 2016. Look for that on next year's Coming content. in like a few weeks, I think. Yeah. I think so. yeah. yeah, very soon. So that's my number nine. Nice. So my number nine? Number nine. Is that where we're at? That's all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> my number nine is Everything Will Be Okay. Alles wird gut. Oh. Or however you say that in German. Um, which is a short film. Yeah. It's a German short film that's nominated for the... A live-action short Oscar, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to put this on my list because I didn't want it to be a, like a trick. <laughs> um, but it really, truly was one of my favorites of the year, and I think there's something to be said with telling a mini movie in a short period of time. I think this one was 25 or 30 minutes. I think so, um, yeah. The premise is that a uh, divorced father is picking up uh, his daughter to spend some time with her um, because it's his his day to spend time with her. And that's about All the extent say. of it. Um, yeah. But it, it falls in that long lineage of custody dramas um, <laughs> that are... <laughs> Are uh, speak to so much about what our relationships feel like with our families and what it means when a family breaks up or stays mm-hmm. together or drifts apart. Um, I thought some of the cinematography was beautiful, mm-hmm. um, kind of tight focus, like really um, uneasy, constricted feeling uh, that it was, that it kind of gives you as an audience member. Totally. Um, there's an eight-year-old, so the, the girl, the daughter is an eight-year-old girl who is brilliant. Yeah, um, my favorite thing was that after seeing this, we saw all the animated, or the live action shorts that are nominated in theaters a few days ago, really. And um, while we're waiting on the subway platform going home, I was just mentioning the little actress and how good she was. And Nathan was like, wow, that's, it's just now dawning on me that that's an actress. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was like a documentary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, totally. And, and that, I think the, the part that I admire most about it is that it shows life as it is. And particularly in the pacing of life. I mean, it has its own internal pacing as a movie because movies have to, to be watchable, but it doesn't sacrifice. I don't want to give anything away, so it's hard to get into too much detail, but it doesn't sacrifice the, the sort of like the mundane or the mundane, but the, yeah, the, the pacing that's not, yeah. I mean the non sexy pacing that is everyday life. Right. I mean, things don't just happen with the flick of a wrist or the, you know, well, yep. maybe for you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can. Yeah, um, and the other thing I would say, um, is that I'm deeply indebted to this movie for reminding me of my childhood obsession with Playmobil. Um, (laughs) There's a scene in a... Oh my god, I loved Playmobil. There's a scene in a toy store, and Playmobil is featured prominently, and I loved it. Um, But I would really suggest watching this movie. It's... it's, If you are in an area where they're screening the the live-action shorts, the Oscar-nominated live-action shorts, it's one of those. Um, otherwise, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure know. you can find it online somewhere. At some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Vimeo or something. Good call. Yeah. I like that choice. Excellent. You're up for number I'm eight. up for number eight. All right, my number eight is Relatos Salvajes, also known as Wild Tales, um, written and directed by Damien Sifron, however you say his name. This was nominated last year, uh, so 2014, for um, foreign language film f- 
from Argentina, I, think Argentina. I believe. Yeah, should have looked that up. Um, but it was released domestically in 2015. Um, I love a good black comedy, and this is real dark. I still really want to see it. Real it's dark. So it's six. It's like an anthology film. It's six short uh, little vignettes on the same theme of like vengeance or violence as Elizabeth crunches on her <laughs> broccoli heart or whatever that is. In our <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, I really loved the first one. Just how it. What is it? Celery. <laughs> celery hearts. I don't know. It's a vegetable. It's a green vegetable. You're the food guy. Yeah, not right? at all. <laughs> um, I love how it's the first one is possibly my favorite. It, it, I mean, I don't want to give any of them away because they're all kind of twisted in, in their own way. But um, the first one, which takes place on a plane and everyone on the plane sort of yes. realizes that they know each other. Or they have like someone in common. And then uh, I, I, don't, I won't give it away, but it's it's such a... Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I won't. Each one has such a good punchline, too. And then you get to the last one, which is this, like, wedding of the century gone totally, totally, totally wrong. And once you think it can't get any worse, it keeps going. You're only about halfway to, like, how dark and just ridiculous it's going to get. It's really great. It was um, produced by Pedro Almodovar and his brother. Um, I'm sure they weren't involved in the making of it. I'm sure they just helped release it, but I'm glad they did. Gustavo Santualaya, who did the score to Babel and Brokeback Mountain, did the score. It's great. It's just, it's a great watch. And I'm excited I, to watch it. Especially in a year when a lot of critics really liked A Pigeon Sat on a Branch re- Reflecting on Existence from um, this past year, I, which is also an anthology film. What I, a bore. I did not yeah, like that movie Yeah, I tried to watch it too, and I got like 15 minutes in, and I was like, I have other things I should be doing. Right. It's, I mean, that movie is kind of flat, flatlining to me. And this movie is just whatever the opposite of flatlining is. Like, yeah. you're having a heart attack the whole movie, and I am on board. <laughs> I really liked this movie. So check it out if you haven't seen it. I Fabulous. think that's a great choice. And I love anthology films when they work yeah, me too. as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this one really did. Oh, well, now I'm really even more excited. I need to seek it out and watch it. Mm-hmm. That's my eight. So my number eight is quite mainstream, pedestrian, if you will. (laughs) Um, It's Spotlight, directed Mm by Tom McCarthy, Mm -hmm. Um, one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year, most talked about in terms of awards and um, critical praise. Uh, It's the story of the Boston Globe breaking the story of the priest molestation scandal that had gone on for years um, that we all know about now. Um, But I don't know. I, for one, kind of took for granted that it just came out in the news. Yeah. Yeah. I I never thought about what it would have taken to overcome the odds to get it out in the news. Right. Um, And this... This movie is just superb. Yep. It's yeah. stellar. For sure. Uh, it's beyond stellar. It's, and it's also, to me, it feels very classic. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there, it's not, well, it's certainly not, like, experimental or, any, or anything. But, no, it's right. classic, classic um, filmmaking. But, like, it... It's it's done in such a way that um, you're really taken along for the ride, and you you end up thinking about what it means to be a hero, mm-hmm. and what the sacrifice is to yeah. become one. Um, and to me, in in that way, it's kind of like a war movie. Hmm, um, interesting. Where you're on the you know you're following these people on the front lines and seeing how they're, you know, fighting for everyone, particularly a group of people that were wronged beyond imagining, but, um, but for everyone. And um, there's one scene where they're talking about, you know, can you ever go to church again or something like that? Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me as, as like, the price you might pay um, 
as a warrior, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was just surprising that this movie brought those themes to bear so well. Um, and the other thing, oh, I wanted to talk about the, there was, um, a steady cam. I think it was a steady cam shot mm-hmm. of, I think Brian Darcy James's character when he's, he runs out of his dis- house. yeah, he's running out of yes. his house. He's discovering a threat in the neighborhood basically. Yeah. And that is the kind of pop of interest in an otherwise yeah that personalizes it for the characters it personalizes it for the characters and it makes the movie that much more special while still being so grounded in what it is and not flashy right because it's also like a tense uh creative like filmmaking trick yeah. In a movie that's otherwise not filmed with exactly. those moments. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Which feels is why it works, yeah. too. Because it's it has such yeah. an economy of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fabulous. I the only reason it doesn't disagree. get higher for me is just... There were other... F- so many good films this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that can be said for most of the things on our list. Yeah. Um, I get, I'm finishing up eight, right? Yep. So my number eight is Spy, Ooh. By, directed by Paul Feig, mm-hmm. uh, starring Melissa McCarthy um, as a spy. <laughs> she doesn't True. begin that way. She starts sort of as an analyst um, who works in an office, who helps assist a field agent, played by Jude Law. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he is killed... Um, in the field, she and uh, and a list is released of all the active agents. She elects um, to go undercover to try and help resolve the case, um, and she turns out to be great in the field. And uh, I loved it for so many reasons. First and foremost, it's a comedy, and I laughed hysterically it throughout. Is hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, I watched it with uh, a friend who. His and my comedic sensibilities do not often align. Mm-hmm. And we were about 30 minutes into it, and he turned to me, and he was like, this is fucking hilarious. That's great. Um, it's So it's just, first off, it's, it really works as a comedy. Secondly, everybody in it is, like, at the top of their field. Top to bottom, there, is not, there is not a weak link in that cast. Everyone no. is, like, really operating. Yeah, there was, like, a tweet somewhere where it was, like, Spy is, like the entire ensemble is competing to be funniest and the only person that wins is the audience. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was Nathaniel, the film experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also just love, it's also unabashedly without being like over the top about it. Feminist. Yep. There are even lines about the fact that Melissa McCarthy, while super successful in her training at Quantico was, I believe the word they even use is sniped by Jude Law's character to work for him. And it was and it just is like this really clever way of how women are very often sort of put in a place, sort of despite their talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like something yeah, that yeah. occurs and it's just in there and it's it's subtle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people complain, I think unfairly about Melissa McCarthy and the character she plays. But For this film? No, just in, just in general. Okay. But she's highly competent, even at the beginning when she's more um, sort of shy and unsure of herself. It's about her own personal empowerment, Mm -hmm. but she's never incompetent. She's never crass. She's never like all the complaints you see about the type of character she plays. I I think her character arc, her character journey is so fabulous. And the ending without going into it is so like almost my best friend's wedding level of like, Yes, it's pitch perfect. That's how that movie with those characters needs to end. And one of the things I love best about it are the characters, which for a lot of, especially like big budget comedies, even ones that Melissa McCarthy has made, it's usually about the punchlines and like the characters are either archetypes or just not very fleshed out because it's just about the humor. But this, even if you take out what are like clearly the joke, jokey premises, like it works as a film and I want to spend so much more time with these characters. Oh I gosh. never and want the... sequels, but I want I need to I need to know 
I need another installment. And the yeah. side characters too. I totally, mean, yeah. Miranda Hart, Jason Miranda Statham. Miranda Hart is <laughs> incredible. Jason, Jason Statham, I like stole my heart this year in this movie. Totally. He's so I'm gonna curse because it only like serves its purpose. He's so fucking funny. He makes me like lose my shit and the scenes and his rapport with i mean they have great chemistry the whole it's a great ensemble all their rapport and i love that there are like four significant different female relationships Mm -hmm. you know i love that there's even a sort of like twisted friendship between um, melissa mccarthy and rose bird who is also a genius in this movie delightful yeah i mean you know it's it's yeah it it's a terrific empowered without trying to be like yay girl power in a way that feels false it just actually comes from a place of like i feel like whoever wrote this movie likes women and maybe has had like friends who are women in their life right has met an actual (laughs) woman actual women um and then on top of it it does what every comedy should do which is consistently funny top to bottom which it is i think i laughed more at that movie than any other i agree this past year Okay, so my number seven is dun dun dun, Kamiko the Treasure Hunter, Ooh. Uh, directed directed by David Zellner. This is a movie starring Rinko Rinko Kikuchi, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, it's set in Japan to start off with. Um, she is kind of an office girl really is her job um and she discovers this old vhs tape of the movie fargo which is one of my top movies of all time so i'm a little biased just because of that um that's all right and yeah and she (laughs) she finds this movie um she becomes convinced that it is within it lies a secret um, quest of sorts and a map that she devises uh, to find some hidden treasure, which is really the briefcase of money that Steve Buscemi's character hides in a snowbank um, near right Brainerd, road, yeah. Minnesota, which is right where near I grew up. So right near where I grew <laughs> up. Um, so again, biased. Uh, but this movie is surrealist. Um, it's, I don't know, did you see it? No, Elizabeth? it's still, it's, um, it's still on my list. I think it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah, it is. Definitely would give it a watch. Um, it's, it's a surrealist portrait of depression, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've read a lot of kind of critics' takes on it, and I haven't read much that's led me to think other people took it the same way. Really? But to me, it's so obviously about depression. I agree. And or mental illness of of any kind, and it's beautifully done. The cinematography again is beautiful. Um, there are several shots that kind of sum up sum up the entire movie. Um, there's one of Kamiko on a chairlift. Yes. Just alone, isolated, in a forest, riding up a chairlift. And that just says everything. Uh, there's another shot of her flushing the VHS tape, the actual tape part of it, down a toilet. That also sums the entire movie up. There are these beautiful images that just evoke the emotions that you need in a movie like this that addresses these themes. Uh, it's just so well done. And shout out to Bunzo the bunny. Yes, all about Bunzo. Who is um, even I know about. Bunzo. I was gonna make I a. Haven't it yet. I was gonna make a <laughs> reference to Bunzo uh, a few minutes ago when, when Elizabeth was chomping about. I didn't want to give away my hand. <laughs> um, and I think one of my favorite food moments of the year in film happens uh, with Bunzo. I'll talk about that on a future podcast. But, um, yeah, all around just a magical realism, surrealism masterpiece. Yeah, it's like lushly romantic, Mm -hmm. but also grounded and, well, melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I really liked it. 
Just what I like in a movie. Great. Sad sack. I love her. I do love her. Yeah. Sad sack. Sad sack. <laughs> Revelatory. Yeah. Emotion. The end. Character driven. So that is my number seven. Nice. I'm excited to watch that one too. This is why I also love doing these lists because of course we see so many films together, the three of us, and mm-hmm. then there are ones that we all inevitably miss out on, probably me the most, but I'm really excited. Now hearing it, both Wild Tales and this sort of like reaffirmed, who knows if I could have been more on the ball, it could have been like Pride last year, which you guys saw without me, and then I saw it. And it was your number one. And it was my number one, so. It's your number one again this year. Sorry, yeah, just keeping it every year. <laughs> In perfect Sorry, Kamiko, I probably will love you. Um, my number seven is a movie that has already been mentioned, and that is Amy, mm-hmm. the documentary on Amy Winehouse. Uh, I already sort of had a relationship to Amy Winehouse's music and like recall my own relationship to it, which is when I was in college, I remember her being like a real pop culture joke and there were always like pictures of her and I always was like, oh, she's such a mess. And I remember like laughing at articles like on D-listed and (laughs) my guilty pleasure in college, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like about her stumbling out of bars with like scrapes on her leg and whatever and. And then it wasn't actually until like a little bit later that I discovered her music and I was like, oh no, but this is so good. So I really like lo- already loved Amy Winehouse's music before I saw it. Um, and I had a hard time like consolidating in my brain the difference between the talent of this artist and what I was hearing and what I remember reading about her before yep. I even really discovered her music besides Rehab, which I still think is like her weakest song. Yeah, it's not my favorite. It's like my least favorite of all that she recorded. Um, And then seeing that documentary, you know, you were just talking about like Kamiko, the treasure hunter, being a really gripping portrait of someone with depression. And the documentary shows that we spent this time just as a culture and what we do with celebrities laughing at someone struggling with mental illness. And like a lot, and there are a lot of things that I can relate to with Amy Winehouse. One is that I'm extraordinarily talented and a wonderful songstress. Um, no, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but I. Wow. No I'm kidding. No, but it was like she had a challenging. Um, she dealt with eating disorders, which I have experienced in my life, and we laughed at her for this and for her appearance when she was struggling with something that a vast majority of women at some stage in their life will experience. Um, you know, she had a challenging relationship with her father. Uh, she obviously suffered from both depression and a lot of social anxiety, which I can really, like, you know what I mean? There are so many things that it's like, oh no, if I were ever thrown into the spotlight the way she is, I can't guarantee that I would not have a similar reaction. For sure. And, and beyond the movie just being really great. And I thought it was, um, not exploitative. Like you said earlier, it was like very even handed about presenting all the sides. It also doesn't try to paint her as an angel or some helpless, like totally it shows she, she was an active participant in torpedoing her life, but there were reasons behind it that we can relate to. You know what I mean? It gets to the heart of that, I think. Yeah. And I love that it keeps it really about her too, in a way, and that all of the interviews are done just as voiceover. Yeah, there's so you so never have any talking footage head. that helps so much. So much. I really felt like I knew her and I understood her. And I feel like going forward, too, it made me real reevaluate. And I'm not like a super gossip hound or anything, but it has made me reevaluate my relationship with celebrity and the stuff I read and particularly women and the way that they get torn apart in the media. Like, it made me like reevaluate like how am I, how, right? How am I becoming an active participant in that? And that it's really like a gross thing. Yeah. Um, so it, it had like a profound effect outside of just being, I think, a well made documentary like about a, a super message. talent. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's really stuck with me. So yeah, it was my number seven. A great film that will likely win the Oscar, but Hi. we'll we'll find out soon enough. My number seven is where we are right now, Brooklyn by John Crowley. Mm-hmm. This movie is simple and elegant and beautiful, but it's so perfect. It's just mesmerizing. Uh, this is um, Saoirse Ronan, who was nominated for an Oscar for Atonement years ago, really comes into womanhood with this. She plays um, 
and we see her get her period on film. Correct. Yeah, it's, that's all it's about is her princess. It's a real Menzies. princess Menzies Sorry. story. Sorry, guys. Yikes. Dun, dun, dun. The end. Let's move on. Uh, so, now this is about Saoirse Ronan. She stars um, as an Irish immigrant who's recently come to Brooklyn um, in 1950s and uh, sort of just you know dealing with with that and um, she falls in love with this Italian boy played by Emery Cohen brilliantly and so charismatically and this is not an actor I would have said good things about pretty much ever <laughs> smash yep um, and then circumstances bring her back to her native Ireland where her mom and sister are um, and she finds her so almost falls for maybe falls for another suitor played by Donald Gleason, who again is having had a fantastic year in 2015, um, star of Ex Machina, and then sort of you know deciding between the two and what is home, what's the idea of home and identity and how that defines you and the ensemble of the, I mean there were so many yeah. good ensembles last year, but the ensemble of this movie is really great. You've got Julie Walters who plays Love. who's so God she's great. I wish she could have gotten more Oscar. She is my grandmother. <laughs> Yeah. Um, she plays um, the sort of matron of a boarding house where Saoirse lives when Ailish is her character name, um, when she's in Brooklyn. And all the females that populate really the whole film, including yeah. her mom and sister, are just so richly developed and it's so honest. And it really is very simple, classic storytelling. But the way that it's presented is it's just got its heart on its sleeve and you feel for it and the end yeah. is pitch perfect. It's it's real good. I recommended it to a number of people immediately after we saw it and then all of them once they had seen it came back to me and I think we all use the same word which is just lovely. It's lovely, yeah. it is. I, lovely. Yeah, I, you could recommend, you could put anyone in front of this and they will they will get something it's like out of it. like a cup of tea on a rainy day. Totally. Yeah. Or even a sunny day, a cool sunny day in San Diego. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you really paint the pictures. <laughs> I try. Uh, it's Brooklyn. me, right? With six. Uh, six. Number six. That was fast for us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, number six, speaking of populist choices, this mm-hmm. is about as populist as it can get. My number six is Star Wars Force Awakens. Oh. Um, hmm. Which I suspect I'm the only one to have it in my top ten. Um... I I think it's already been established in the history of Cine Drunk that I'm not a particular like Star Wars fanatic. No, none of us are. Um, I did enjoy in the past year anticipating the release, um, rewatching the original three, which Same. I think are are pretty great. Yep. Um, the, I we tried to watch. I know you guys made it through all three of the prequels, but we oh, tried. I did. Nathan did. Oh no no no. Okay. <laughs> Because I know that the, the three minutes. of us, the three of us, tried to watch Phantom Menace. They actually weren't as Manus awful and... as once I made it through the first like 15, 20, eh, two hours of Phantom Menace. <laughs> it wasn't the prequels weren't as okay. awful as I remember. But yeah, all still I know bad. is we basically got through where they met Jar Jar Binks, and then we were like, nope, no. Which is like in the first few <laughs> minutes. Yeah, just no. Can't. And we've only been talking about like taxes. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Trade taxes. But anyway. That long ramble being, I don't have like a particular nostalgia for Star Wars, um, but I just thought that this was like classic, joyful filmmaking at its best. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the story. I thought the story was um, well paced. Yep. For as much that happens, I was never bored. It never drags. It's really propulsive. It's really exciting. And to pull the lady card. There was something so exhilarating about seeing a female hero like Rey, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what ultimately catapults it into my top ten. Um, and actually, also seeing like then the two new male characters being people of color as well. And um, one gay character. <laughs> According <not>. to Nathan, <laughs> I mean, I would be fine. I would be more than fine with that. Again, my happen. bias shows through. But <laughs> Oscar Isaac. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think it's, like, really special, and I think for um, a franchise that could have easily rested on its laurels, I don't think it did in any component of the filmmaking. I also think the weakness of... Even the, like, story redundancy, I think, is on purpose, and to see the story retold but retold with a female as its hero is important and significant, actually, culturally. 
Um, you know, I read articles afterwards where people talked about like they can't wait to show this to their daughters and have them want to dress up as Ray and they're not dressing up as princesses. They're dressing up as this person who like wields a staff a badass, and is yeah. a badass, but not in a like, I'm a bad, she's still like feminine and naive and like all these things that like, it's a nice balance between softness and hardness. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like they managed to make her, um, physically strong and competent while still like not then negating her femininity, which I feel like, films have a really hard balancing anytime they have the quote-unquote strong female character. Yeah. Which is that they're one thing or the other, and she manages to be both. Yep. It also is just a film, and I, I realize that it's a film series sort of predicated on the strength of friendship. Yeah. And sort of like with Pride, like I have a real soft spot for movies that, or The Martian of yep, this year too. I was too, that, yeah. Where like, it celebrates teamwork. It celebrates friendship and and the coming together and, and the power know. of that yeah. and and it's like triumphing results of trusting people you know i love that she and finn i love the scene where like she and finn are in the millennium falcon i didn't explain the movie i'm assuming everyone knows what it's about there's but, wars in space <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love the scene when they've escaped and the, which first off the reveal of the millennium falcon is such a great cheeky moment mm-hmm. Um, but I love the moment when they've escaped and they are both like testing their own limits and abilities and they just run to each other and they're like, oh my gosh, you did that. Oh my gosh, you did that. And they're just like instantly friends and there's a bond and it doesn't have to be complicated and that carries its way through the film for the rest of it. And not in a like, it's because he's in love with her or she's in love with him. Right. I mean, there's like hints that there could be a romance, but that's not like it's what's front and center. Not the foundation. It's, right, it's yeah. not the foundation of their actual relationship, which is mutual respect and friendship. Um, yeah, so I loved yeah. it. I'm really excited to see where they go with this because my too. favorite parts were definitely the new characters. Oh, 100%. I also think J.J. Abrams did something very smart in rewatching the first ones. And like, I love you, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, sure. But he actually cast great actors in all of the parts. <laughs> like, yeah. the acting in all six of the previous ones are questionable. Well, it's not an acting showcase for anybody. Even Harrison Ford. Even Harrison Ford, yeah. but he's the best. And I Certainly. think that's mostly because it's coasting on his own natural persona and charisma. charisma. yeah. Um, but they, like, he took the time to find actual, like, actors yeah. to be in these new ones, which I think will really set the tone then going forward. Yeah, I can't deny that I had a great time in the theater watching this movie, yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly the story redundancies, and just, especially coming off of having watched the first six right before watching this. It was like, really? Again? This, Again, this, I, and this, and I this? understand that, but it's also like, but look at every Marvel movie. It's the same plot over and over and over. Kind of. No, <laughs> the same. Mm. <laughs> like, switch things in and out, but at least this one was interested in like character and... Oh, a woman and a black man can actually be the lead, not the white dude sidekick <laughs> yet again. So, yeah, good. and we're ahead. celebrating movies. We today. are. <laughs> uh, is it me? Mm-hmm. All right, my number six uh, is Mustang, mm-hmm. which I feel like on like four <laughs> different occasions, yep. either two or three of us made an appointment, yep. a date to go see it, and then just either weather or. Illness. illness things just got in the way so finally i was like f it i have a free afternoon i'm gonna see it on my own last week and i'm so glad i did it's so good this is um nominated this year for foreign film representing france but it actually takes place in turkey um by director denise gamze erguven uh, who's a female i'm sure that's exactly how you pronounce it i think it's just denise it's just spelled denise? Okay. okay yes <laughs> okay Den- i have no denise idea. johnson don't listen to that, what I'm denise richards <laughs> Screenwriting or directing. I'm super impressed if that was the case. (laughs) Um, It's about five sisters um, growing up in rural Turkey. There's sort of an inciting incident near the beginning that prompts them to be kind of locked up um, by their their orphans. So they live with their elderly, well, not that elderly, but more old school grandmama and um, their uncle. And it's all about just oppression and repression and the patriarchy and being like constrained both literally and thematically by that and it's like a generational and gender clash 
And similar to what when we were talking about the German short film that Nathan had at number nine, Everything Will Be Okay or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. It it kept I had to keep like step trying to mentally step out of the movie and remembering that these are actresses because they're all young there were a lot of really great younger actor performances which you can often credit yeah last year um which you can often credit to the director but they just feel so lived in and so real and their relationships with each other they feel like real sisters and none of them are to my knowledge um it sort of ends up being about women and marriage and they all sort of get married off one by one and arranged marriages because that's how it is and then it's mostly the main character is the youngest Lale and she's also the narrator and how she's sort of fighting with and against that and there's there's great moments of levity and it's I know both of you would really love it I feel a little bit right now like you're rubbing celery salt in my wound (laughs) because I've been dying to see this movie and this week alone I think you and I had three separate dates to go see it but as you can probably tell by my voice I've had some health issues this week and just couldn't make it and I'm furious I was unable to see it before we did these top tens and now you put it at number six so again celery salt in the wound you're welcome. At least we'll have more movies to talk about because it can't be on both of your lists. That's true. That's true. I mean, even when we recorded last year, brief shout out to Force Majeure, The Way He Looks, and yeah. Mommy, which all ended up making my top ten list, but I hadn't seen by the time we recorded last year. Not to be confused with Goodnight Mommy. Oh, which no, no, no. I would which assume is not, a, is not on any of our lists. Any of our lists. And was from 2015. It is on my list for worst movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mustang, fantastic. Check it out. Great. Cool. Your number six. You're up. My number six is Carol, mm-hmm. directed by Todd Haynes. And uh, this one is also, I think, in some ways, classic filmmaking, although um, it has components of magic to it. I mean, I, I think it's just magical. Is well, there is that part where Kate Blanchett casts a spell. She does. Well, she pulls a she pulls Bunzo out of a hat, actually. <laughs> oh, Bunzo. Um, Hashtag Bunzo. <laughs> but I think magic is the way I would describe this. There's magic in the performances. There's magic in the cinematography. There's certainly magic in the way that Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett look at each other. Oh, and yes. it's all about that, to me, the look. Um, it's all about the look and what's said and mostly what's unsaid. Yeah. Um, between these two women. So anyway, I, backing up, this is a, a romance um, starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, set in the in 1950s New York, and um, Rooney Mara works at a department store. Kate Blanchett is a well-to-do woman who comes in um, to purchase a gift or something. And <laughs> for her daughter, she's in the midst of a divorce. Right, she's in the midst of a divorce with that Chandler guy, or just Kyle Chandler. Okay. Kyle Chandler. Yes. Hard, just um, the name of them. Yes. Hard. Yeah, it's a great name for that character. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, romance ensues between the two ladies, and I think it to me, you know, everything I've mentioned about it is why I love it, but also it's that rare gay movie or gay focused movie that doesn't have undue tragedy mm-hmm. undue villainy mm-hmm. um undue heteronormativity like people maintain their dignity okay. even while making fools of themselves as humans do uh, and I really appreciate that, especially considering that it was, it's based on a, a book or a short story? A book. book. A yeah. book. The Price writ- of Salt. Yeah, The Price of Salt written, you know, decades and decades ago. Um, yeah, I, it's just a beautiful film. Gorgeous. The editing was great. Yeah. Um, 
I fancy myself a bit of a film editor. <laughs> I've taken one day of a film editing class. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's particularly a moment in the beginning. There's a scene that's, that unfolds in both the beginning and the end. Yeah, like that frame. And um, the editing of that in different ways it really is to the benefit of everyone yep. who watches it. Um, yeah, that's my number six. Great choice. Awesome choice. That concludes part one of our top ten lists for 2015. Have a listen to part two to find out our top five favorite films of 2015.